Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, my message to you today, brothers and sisters, boils down to six simple words based on a Bible text from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here's my message. Remembering builds up. Forgetting breaks down. And here's the Bible text. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. I will now lead us in closing prayer. Just kidding. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best not to keep you too long. Let's start with a true story. I ran track in junior high and high school. This is back in the days before they converted to the metric system. So I ran the quarter mile, the 440-yard dash, and the half mile. And I also ran what they call the mile relay, which is four, four guys that are running a quarter of a mile each. Um, so for sure, probably the, the highlight of my track career came in my ninth grade year in junior high school when our team won the county track and field championship. We had a pretty good team, but winning the championship over our rival Memorial Junior High School was by no means a sure bet. In those days, the field events, you know, the, the long jump and the pole vault and the high jump and the discus and shot put and all those things, they uh, occurred in the afternoon and then the running events occurred in the evening. Well, by the time the afternoon was over, Memorial had what looked like an insurmountable lead. They, were, they had a huge advantage in the field events, and it appeared we were hopelessly behind in the scoring. But Coach Roger Thomas had worked out an ingenious strategy. If we could sweep the quarter-mile race, placing first, second, and third, taking all the points, and then we could win each of the three relay races, 440, 880, mile relay, for which the points were doubled, then we just might pass Memorial on the next to last event of the evening, and then we could clinch the victory on the mile relay, the very last event. So, Coach Thomas projected me to finish the quarter mile in second place after our superstar, Mike Dean, who had won, uh, he, he'd never been beaten the entire year, and uh, I was pretty sure I couldn't beat him. But uh, it was a very good chance I would get second place, so Coach Thomas kind of had me penciled in to get the silver medal, but who was gonna get third place? Well, Coach Thomas took me aside early in the week, and he said, Ralph, your teammate, Harold Sauls, is perfectly capable of taking that critical bronze medal in the quarter mile. But he lacks consistency, and he's been underperforming. 
So I want you, Ralph, to take responsibility to talk Harold into having the performance of his life so he can secure that bronze medal and will sweep the event and have a chance to win the meet. So every day that week, I pumped encouragement into Harold, uh, whom I actually knew only casually, really. I don't remember what I said, but it worked just a little too well. We swept the quarter-mile race, but that rascal, Harold Sauls, tall and lanky, leaned into the tape and beat me by a quarter of a second, uh, a tenth of a second. Anyway, so he got the silver medal and I got the bronze medal, but we swept the event. Well, Harold played a significant role uh, in the remainder of the event. Things went just like clockwork. Uh, the rest of the meet couldn't have gone better as Coach Thomas had strategized. Our half-mile relay team took the apparently insurmountable lead away from Memorial on the next-to-last running event, and all that was left was the mile relay, which we had to win. We had to beat Memorial, uh, who was very talented. Uh, but if we beat them in that final event, we would win the championship. So Coach Thomas once again took me aside and said, Ralph, you're running the third leg of the relay. You must ensure that you hand the baton to our anchorman, Mike Dean, with a lead. If you can do that, Mike will ensure the victory. So once again, Harold Sauls played a significant role. He led the race off. He had the first leg of the race. And he ran another very good uh, time in that race and handed off the baton to Butch Phelps. And uh, as Butch rounded the home stretch, he was slightly behind the memorial player, but all I could hear was to Coach Thomas's words in my ears, you know, you have to have a lead for Mike Dean. So as soon as I got the baton from Butch, I took off like a jackrabbit and headed around the track for my lap. I gave up the lead a little bit on the back stretch because I wanted to have something in the tank for the finish. But sure enough, as we came around the final turn, I took the lead and handed the baton off to Mike Dean, and we won the race. And uh, it was, you know, bedlam. Uh, it was a dramatic come-behind victory. And like I said, in some ways, it was probably the highlight of my track career. It's kind of bad to peak when you're in ninth grade, but that's <laughs> the story of my life. Anyway, uh, fast forward 50 years. My work in Christian higher education took me back to my hometown of Orlando, Florida for the last 14 years of my career. And one day I got news that my high school alma mater was having a special 50th anniversary commemoration of Vietnam veterans. And in that connection, dedication of a new memorial monument garden patterned after the national Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. In memory of the approximately 50 alumni from our high school who had lost their lives in the war, I decided since I had served in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam era and possibly knew some of those who had uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice, I would attend the ceremony. I was not prepared for what I learned. Among the Vietnam War dead unveiled on the memorial stone that day was none other 
than my old Cherokee junior high teammate, Harold Sauls. I had not heard of him. I confess I had rarely thought of him and always with a bit of pride and just a little bit of jealousy since that glorious championship track meet 50 years before. Unbeknownst to me, Harold apparently had enlisted in the Army right out of high school. He was killed in September 1968 at the age of 18, almost immediately upon his deployment to Vietnam. How sobering. Today we celebrate Memorial Day. I'm sure you can understand that I'm especially remembering with fondness and sincere gratitude my old teammate, Harold Sauls. The origins of Memorial Day remembrance date back to the end of the American Civil War. At least some regard the day's original designation to be related to a May 1865 gathering in Charleston of black Union soldiers and freed slaves in order to consecrate a proper burial site for Union dead in the region. A more formal and perpetual observance was the designation by General John Logan of May 30th, 1868 as Decoration Day. General Logan wanted to urge united national commemoration of the loss of more than 620,000 Civil War dead on both sides of the conflict. From then on, a day of war remembrance expanding from specifically Civil War casualties eventually to include those who had died in all of America's wars was widely observed in many, if not most, communities across our nation for the following century. It wasn't until 1968, however, that specific congressional action designated the last Monday in May as the National Memorial Day holiday we now observe. While the evolution of Memorial Day may be somewhat ambiguous, the significance is not. We Americans are officially resolved never to forget that the blessings of liberty have been secured and preserved with the lives of thousands of our fellow citizens. Abraham Lincoln so eloquently warned us, from whence shall we expect the approach of danger? Shall some transatlantic military giant step the earth and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe and Asia could not by force take a drink from the Ohio River or make a track on the Blue Ridge in the trial of a thousand years. No, if destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we will live forever or die by suicide. We forget at the peril of our personal and national flourishing. That is the basis for my simple six-word message to you today, 
Say it with me. Remembering builds up. Forgetting breaks down. What's true for the health and sustaining of our American nation is every bit as true for us as individuals and as people of God that the Apostle Peter calls a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 1 Peter 2.9. It's every bit as true in the spiritual realm as it is in the national realm. When we remember, we flourish. When we forget, we flounder. We can observe this principle all the way back in the earliest days of God's nation-building history. Let's take a closer look at the text I referred to earlier. It comes from the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and so they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Last week we honored and celebrated Gateway students graduated from high school, college, and other educational programs. In their honor, I thought I would share with you some actual, actual test answers I recently came across. Check out these answers students gave to exam questions where they had clearly forgotten what they were taught. Question, what is hard water? Answer, ice. Question, what is a nitrate? Answer, cheaper than a day rate. Question, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? Answer, at the bottom. <laughs> Question, what is a fibula? Answer, a little lie. <laughs> Question, what is a vibration? Answer, there are good vibrations and bad vibrations. Good vibrations were discovered in the 60s. Question, some of you will know that <laughs> reference. Uh, question, where was Hadrian's wall built? Answer, around Hadrian's garden. Question, name one of the early Romans' greatest achievements. Answer, learning to speak Latin. Latin is a dead language, as dead as dead can be. It killed the ancient Romans, and now it's killing me. We used to say that in Latin class. Well, have a good laugh, but here's the kicker. I have some bad news for you today. Unless you make a concerted effort to remember what God has done for you and said to you, you are going to forget most of it. Dare I say, you've already forgotten most of it. I can assure you on the basis of widespread research and more importantly on the authority of Scripture, every force of nature and of the spiritual realm will conspire to make you forget, especially to make you forget what you most need to remember. Back to our text. 
Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen, so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Some of you who have just graduated from high school or college may be interested to know that these remarks are part of what you might call a commencement address given by Moses. The exhortation occurs at the end of a 40-year period of wilderness wandering imposed on an entire generation of people that may have set the world record for spiritual amnesia. You may know the story. Following the stupendous events leading to the Israelites' escape from the most advanced and powerful nation on earth, Egypt, Moses is called by God to the summit of Mount Sinai where he receives the laws by which God's covenant people may flourish morally and socially and may become the marvel and envy of all the nations, a beacon of true enlightenment, prosperity, liberty, and justice for all in the wake of miraculous plagues, Red Sea parting, streams in the desert, and food from the ground and the skies, the Israelites got restless after waiting about a month while Moses is on the mountaintop. Concluding that this Yahweh God appears reluctant to perform miracles on demand and indulge their impatience like some cosmic genie in a bottle, they decide to go the designer God route, otherwise known as idolatry. Again, you may know the story recorded in Exodus chapter 32. Aaron, left in charge of this forgetful group of ingrates while Moses was on the mountaintop getting instructions from the Lord, caved to their complaining and they made a golden calf mascot God and so created their own Woodstock-like happening. Why? They forgot the meaning and significance of what they so recently had heard and experienced. So that generation paid a heavy price. They all died off in the wilderness, demoralized, disenfranchised, destitute, forbidden to enter the promised land. Now, a new generation stands before Moses as they commence to enter into all the beauty and bounty God had promised. We don't have time to review in detail how central this theme of forgetfulness and consequent exhortation to remember is to Moses' entire message on that occasion. Three times in chapter 4, verses 9, 23, and 31, and at least nine times throughout the entire discourse that makes up the book of Deuteronomy, Moses exhorts this emerging generation, do not forget. You can count it up for yourself later if you want. You could easily identify this as the theme of the entire book of Deuteronomy. Brothers and sisters, Moses' ancient exhortation applies to us. Th thus, our simple, 
six-word Memorial Day message. Say it with me again. Remembering builds up. Forgetting breaks down. Or in the words of Scripture, only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Notice the way the text suggests that forgetting is a passive phenomenon. Want to forget what God has taught you, what you've experienced with him? No need to do anything. You will forget. Every dynamic within your heart and your world will conspire to make you forget. What you have learned will inexorably fade from your memory. You may not wish it or intend it, but it will happen. Take it to the bank. You have God's word on it. I want also to point out that the term remember in the Bible does not typically mean mere recall of facts. Instead, remembering in the Bible suggests action consistent with recall of previous events or commitments. Scripture tells us, for example, that God remembered Noah and all the animals in the ark following the flood. Not that he had forgotten them, but he was now acting to spare them from the calamity and establish them in freedom and security. God remembered barren Rachel and Hannah, and he acted to enable them to conceive. When scripture repeatedly tells us God remembers his covenant, it doesn't mean his faulty memory is jogged. It means he takes care to ensure that he follows through on his covenant commitments to his people. Thus, biblically, to remember is literally to sustain its very existence. So, if you want to keep the memory of what you have learned about God's nature, his commitment to you, his providential care for you, his plans for you, his vision for this world, you are going to have to be proactive rather than passive. Otherwise, what you think you have learned will literally pass away. Look again at the text. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and so they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Did you notice that the text cites two ways in which you can be proactive rather than passive? so that you do not allow what you've learned of the living God to fade away from your memory. Moses exhorts his hearers to watch yourselves and teach the next generation. This word watch may be more accurately rendered keep watch. Set a guard over your soul to remember 
and rehearse what the Lord has done for you is one of the most fruitful spiritual disciplines you can exercise. Frank sang it to us this morning. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. Is that a habit of yours? To remember and rehearse what the Lord has done for you is one of the most fruitful spiritual disciplines you can exercise. May I encourage you to find a way of doing that? Warren Hoffman served as a lay leader of my church youth group during my middle school years. I vividly remember how he told us over and over again that he and his wife had kept a ledger book in which they recorded prayers and answers to prayer over what was then more than 30 years of marriage. Warren Hoffman had found a way to be proactive rather than passive. When I assumed the leadership of, Christian of an association of Christian colleges some years ago, I decided to do something similar. An official appendix to our association's planning document became known as the God Chronicles. Year by year at our annual staff retreats, we spent some time reviewing and updating that record of what became nearly 100 major instances in which the evidence of God's commitment to and engagement with our organization's story was unmistakable. May I urge you to take up this discipline? You may follow Warren Hoffman's pattern. You might use Facebook, start a blog, create art, compose music. Just find a way to be proactive lest you forget what God has taught you. There's been quite a bit of research about memory retention and here's what scientists have concluded. We remember about 10% of what we read, about 20% of what we hear, about 30% of what we see, about 50% of what we see and hear, about 70% of what we discussed with others, about 80% of what we experienced personally, Oh, and one more thing. We remember 95% of what we teach to someone else. Surprise, surprise, as Gomer Pyle would say. The Bible seems to offer some insight about learning. If you want to remember something vividly and permanently, teach it to the next generation. Parents, Regardless of your occupation, there's biblical warrant to insist that a central aspect of your vocation, your calling, must be an intentional, lifelong pattern of entrusting what God has taught you to another generation. For those of you who have families, there's no more important aspect of parenting than telling your children about what God says and what he has done for you and your family. God's work 
needs to become part of your family story. And that story needs to be told and commemorated. When our kids were younger, we vacationed several times with my sister and brother-in-law and their three children. We had a blast hiking, playing games, fishing. Our record was over 100 small brim. Okay, probably actually about 20 small brim we caught five times each. Uh, in a small mountain pond using pieces of soft taco for bait. Or at the beach, swimming, catching fish, eating lobster. One way we made memories of those vacations was for my brother-in-law and me to compose a song that commemorated some aspect of our time together. These silly little songs are deeply embedded in our adult children's memories, a permanent part of family lore. We were proactive about creating ways to remember our experiences. During those vacations, we also had family devotions, teaching our children the ways of God, rehearsing our God stories in one another's presence. Nowadays, I keep my own personal God Chronicles record in my daily prayer journal. In fact, the theme verses God gave me for this season of my life since my retirement are, Lord, now that I'm old and gray, don't walk away. Give me grace to demonstrate to the next generation all your mighty miracles and your excitement, to show them your magnificent power. For your glorious righteousness reaches up to the high heavens. No one could ever be compared to you. Who is like you, O God of marvels and wonders? Even though you've let us sink down with trials and troubles, I know you will revive us again, lifting us from the dust of death. I can't tell you how much the existence of the God Chronicles has meant to me in times of temptation and testing. It's not magic. It's just one way of being proactive rather than passive of keeping watch over my heart. Teaching the next generation begins in your home with your children. Want to avoid spiritual amnesia that leads to idolatry in all of its subtleties? Revisit your personal God story and retell it with your children at every opportunity. Do it in your home, our church, your workplace, your community, you don't need to preach, just share your story. It will do your soul as much good as anyone who hears. Brothers and sisters, forgetting is like a constant spiritual undertow. But forgetting is not inevitable. If you commit yourself to being proactive rather than passive, about remembering. Have you been recording your God story? It's not too, too late to start that record. Have you been telling your God story? I urge you to make this one of the central aspects of your life, to the extent you're proactive rather than passive with respect to this pull to forget. You'll be free to worship the one true God and to enjoy the blessings of life in him all the days of your life. 
On this Memorial Day, I offer six words to you that I most fervently believe. Say them with me one more time. Remembering builds up. Forgetting breaks down. Let's make this very practical. Who among those that have given the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of our nation are you remembering today? Take the little card in your seat. On one side, it says this. This Memorial Day 2023, I'm particularly remembering, and there's an opportunity for you to fill in a name there. This person who paid the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of our nation. My card has Harold Sauls on there. I'm remembering Harold today. You're remembering Bruce, Tibbetts, Aaron. Others of us are remembering grandparents and parents, or perhaps neighbors, perhaps former teammates, whatever. Let's make it specific. Let's commit ourselves to truly remembering with gratitude those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And then you can turn the card over. And on that side of the card, I'm inviting you to do this. This Memorial Day 2023, I'm committing myself, God helping me, to remember this and write down something, some blessing, some promise, some experience you've had with God, something that you very well know is something God has done for you and you're saying to yourself before the Lord today, I'm gonna be proactive about remembering that so that it doesn't fade from my memory, so that I don't forget. In my case, I'm writing Eliana, Rosalind, Hope, Pete on that line. I don't have time to tell you the whole story but it's a story of adoption of our little one-year-old granddaughter. It looked like it was a forlorn hope after a few days, but last July, the Lord brought Eliana into our lives, and I'm remembering among the many things in my prayer journal that one thing today. Eliana means, my God has heard. Can't wait to see that little girl in a few weeks. Well. What commitment will you make today to ensure that you're proactive and not passive regarding that which God has said to you and done for you? Hear the word of the Lord one more time. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Remembering builds up. Forgetting breaks down. Pastor Don, come lead us in closing prayer. Take your card with you.